man, we are humbled that you are here with us, football fan or not, uh, and we're excited that you've taken some time to open up God's Word as we study a taboo subject that a lot of people don't like spending a lot of time talking about. That taboo subject is the taboo subject of God's view on why he created and how we are to steward money, uh, to which a lot of you just felt like that moment where the presence of God was near left the room, which is why it's such a a taboo thing. You came for a sermon about the character of Jesus, not a sermon about how God's character should impact the way that we view and treasure and steward money. So last week we looked at some warnings around money. Money has a magnetic force and pull on our heart. We are treasure hunters by nature. We give our affection, our time, and our energy to the things that we desire most. Money may be the greatest desire, but usually it's the means for the greatest desire other than God that we are pursuing. So we get more money so that we can get the things that we want to either prop up the idols that we are worshiping with our affection, our thoughts, our time, and our energy, or or we get money because we want it as a sense of security so that we have to trust in no one, including God, uh, that we can now bend our knee to our own selves and our own agenda instead of submitting and depending on a God to provide and lead and care and guide us in our life. So you need to be aware that money is fun, but money can get you into a whole lot of trouble, and the love of money can lead you to a whole lot of evil. And so we want you to be aware of that. No amens. No amens off of last week's sermon. It must have been a humdinger, and you're still under conviction. Uh, So uh, today, I want to talk to you about the positive side of why did God make money? Uh, What's the good use for it? And how do we steward our money in a way that honors God as the creator and author and giver of all blessing in our lives? So to start our sermons, I've been trying to give you something to kind of break the ice. And today I just want to remind you of what money was not made for or for some of you to inform you of what money was not made for before I tell you why God made money. And there's uh, five things I want you to see, and I'm going to go through them quickly because this isn't the main course. This is just the appetizer. Number one, money is not, to, not for you to build your identity on. Number two, money is not for you to find your security in. Number three, money is not to be a means for independence from God. Number four, money is not a way for you to control others. Number five, Money is not to be your main goal and aim in life. Let me break these down briefly. Five things that money is not for in your life. Number one, money is not a place for you to build your identity. We are, by nature, a people that have now been placed in Christ. That is the term for the believer. Now that we are in Christ, we are to view the world and everything that is a part of this world Differently, The foundation of our identity as Christians is that we are now a people in Christ Jesus. Our foundation in our identity as human beings, whether we believe in God or not, is that we are image bearers of God. I want to make two distinctions about our identity. Everyone in this room has been created in the image of God. That's straight out of the book of Genesis. That's the original narrative of what we are called to. So we believe the foundational identity of humanity can only be found in the shadow of their creator. We have been created to be in the image and to bear the image of God in the way that we live, in the way that we steward, and in the way that we rule over the earth so that it would flourish and be fruitful and multiply. You need to go back and read that sometime if you do not understand that that was God's intended purpose in creating humanity. 
authority, that we would live under his authority, and under that authority we would bear his image and image him as an act of worship as we allowed the garden, as we allowed Eden to flourish and produce fruit. The problem we have is the midpoint of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 transitions us into a breaking of shalom. We no longer longer live... uh, in uh, submission to the authority of God, but we've rebelled against that in sin and thought outside of God we could find joy. And outside of God we could find happiness. And outside of God we could find peace. And outside of God we could find abundance. And as a result of the breaking of shalom, life as it should be, one of my favorite Hebrew words there, as a result of the breaking of that, we now live in a disconnect from God. We do not fellowship with God, therefore we try to make gods. We do not enjoy God and worship God, therefore we worship idols. And as a result of that, idols can't deliver us. They can't hear us. They can't uh, save us from ourselves. So we're broken. This is humanity's story. I'm giving the entire Bible in five seconds. And then Jesus steps into time, wraps himself in flesh, lives the life that we didn't live, honoring the Father instead of dishonoring Him in sin, submitted to the Father by the Spirit instead of rejecting the Spirit and walking away from God. And as a result, He dies on the cross as our substitute, standing in our place. Corinthians says He made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become His righteousness. And so the only way that any of us are made right before God or made righteous before God is by the substitute that stood in our place to pay for our sin with his blood on the cross. Therefore, we now, through faith, by his grace on the cross, have been made into a new creation. And we now are in Christ. And that's to be your identity. That we are image bearers that have been redeemed. Not by our efforts. Not by us being good people. But by the very blood of a Savior that was shed for you and me so that we could be reconciled to him. And now everything is done in Christ. But for a lot of us, we have a broken identity and a lot of insecurity that is built on the fact that's built on the fact that we have got a faulty foundation of how we are identifying ourselves. We start with our desires and then we build our identity from it. We start with our wants and we build our identity from it. We start with our successes and we build our identity from it. We start with our failures and we build our identity from it. We start with everything that we can do that we can puff up and magnify and then we minimize everything in the background. So this is how you get a church filled with people who come not to repent before God but to just be affirmed by God because we don't want to be corrected by a loving God that sees cancer inside of us that he wants to pull out. you got to understand, at your foundation, you have been made in the image of God. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been saved in Christ. This is who you are. Money, money is not your foundation. Wealth is not the foundation of your worth. God does not look at your bank accounts to determine who is valued in his kingdom and who is not valued. In fact, most of the stories of the people that God valued are the the rejects and the people that are in the margins and the people that are overlooked within our society. So do not let money be a basis for you to build your identity from. Why do I say that? Because a lot of you who are sitting here going, well, that's not a problem for me, have a real problem with money being a source of your identity. It's why you're in debt up to your eyeballs because you have four truck, uh, a truck payment that used to be a mortgage payment because that's what happened since the 90s to now. Back in the day, you could get a brand new truck. I remember you could get a uh, Dodge ram with a hemi in it with a gear shifter and it was like 16 8 new they were rolling them off the lot when i was in high school 
That was back, not when the dinosaurs lived, for some of you that are younger, but back in 2002. And, and now that same truck's going to cost you a, a 10-year mortgage payment. It's insane. My point is, the reason we do that still is because our identity is being built on the success that we portray with the house, with the truck, and with the lifestyle that we are living instead of it being in Christ. Money's not for you to build your identity. Number two, money is not for you to find your security in it. Money is a bad place to put your trust. Now, let me be clear. This does not dismiss financial stewardship. Some of you are like, well, uh, I, I, I trust in God, so we just spend whatever we want. And that's called stupid, okay? I think it's in the index of your Bible. You can look it up. What's it called to not have a budget and to not pay attention to what we're spending because God's got this? I think it's in the index, and it says stupid. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Or it may be in First Opinions chapter 2, verse 3. You can check it out in your Bibles another time. But my point is that's not smart. That's not smart. So, so not trusting in money as your security is not a dismissal of your responsibility to care for it well, but it, but it is to put a tension in place that for some of us, we have been more concerned with stacking wealth because we think it's going to build a big enough fence to keep the world and all of its problems out, and, and it's got gotten to a point where it's begun to seed our trust from really resting in God. Money is not to be a place, not to be a place that we find our security in. Number three, money is not to be a means for independence from God. And this is a big problem. For a lot of us, we want enough money so that we can trust God where it's easy to trust him, but we don't need him where it's hard to trust him, i.e. daily bread, Right? And so, so we struggle in this because the call I see in Scripture is that, and what I see as a, a problem in Scripture, is the more Israel in the Old Testament flourished, the more they wandered from God. So they get blessed and they wander from God. And then things get hard, so guess what they do? They start depending on God. And then they get blessed because they get close to God again, and they're not figuring out that when we're close to God, there's peace and there's joy and we have enough. But they get close to God, they get enough, and then they run off again like, we got it again, we got it again, and then, and then things go bad again. And so they keep doing this dance of coming towards God when things are wrong and wandering from God when things are right. Sort of like the majority of the American church. Everyone, like, like I'm telling you, some of the best things that can happen. Last time we had a pretty good breakout revival according to baptism statistics across the denominations that I look at. The last time we saw a big one, guess what was going on? A recession. You had less money to go and buy big toys, to not come and honor God and be engaged in the community. You didn't have anything else to do, so guess what you did? You came to church. Imagine that. There's a scary prayer that most of us don't want to pray today. It comes out of Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 to 9. It's one of my favorite prayers to pray whenever I start feeling myself getting greedy. Because let me be very clear to you. I'm not preaching a series to you on money because I see money the right way. I'm preaching a series to money on you because I'm preaching it to myself all week. Because I get jacked up views of money that seep back into my view all the time. I get greedy just like you get greedy. I can get out of control just like you get out of control. Give me a good baseball card auction and I will make mistakes. I needed that Chipper Jones auto. My, my point is, 98 Braves, two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me these things before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And here's the hard part of the prayer. You ready? Just raise your hand if you want to pray this. Give me neither poverty I want to be a 
so really bad. Right? We, we don't sing songs about, I want to be in the middle of those tensions. No, no. I, I, God, I don't want to be in poverty. I want to be rich. I want to be rich. I never will forget I was having a gospel conversation with uh, a Bay Area rapper and we were talking about Jesus, and he loved Jesus, and he loved grace, and he was excited. And uh, I, I said, well, you know, Jesus is worthy of everything, so what do you mean? I start telling stories about giving up everything to follow Jesus. And he got really quiet. I never will forget this, complete change in his demeanor. He'd been so excited about everything that we talked about. And I said, I said, to follow Christ means that you are willing to let go of everything in this world. And that means you're willing to give anything at any moment in time if God were to ask for it and say, yes, God, I want you. You can have my house. You can have my car. You can have my possessions. You can have my clothes. You can have my future. God, I just want you. Like that, that is Christianity. And he went, I'll never go back to where I'm from. And we never talked again. Because he came out of poverty, and his entire life mission was to never live there again. How many of you right now couldn't pray this prayer in a genuine way because right now you want that? Like you treasure it. Like you wake up on Monday and you hustle for it. Like you sweat for it. You work for it. You, you want to get out of whatever it is that your family was in. And maybe you came from a family where financial stewardship was bad, so you felt the uh, poor financial decisions of parents and other people that came before you that affected you. So in your mind, you're going to break the curse and you're going to get around it. But here, be careful because being rich can become the goal. And when being rich becomes the goal, you turn into the tin man and you have no heart. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say... Let me tell you how that translates in our context a lot. Usually, that translates in, who needs a church? Who needs a community group? Who needs other believers? I get it. You don't want to equate the two as being the same because that got really personal really quick. But a lot of you in here, because you like the comfort of your lifestyle and the fact that there's never a moment where a brother or sister in Christ might come along that might be a need that you might have to actually extend the blessings that God has given you to them in your life. A lot of us get to a point where we begin to say that in our actions when it comes to the bride of Christ and the people of God. Which, by the way, let me be very clear with you. Apart from the people of God that God has left on this earth, you will always run at a substandard pace in your pursuit of Christ, accept sin that you should be repenting of, and as a result of it, never really live the fruitful life that God has designed for you to live within the community of Christ, where your gifts that he has given you are meant to be shared so that the community around you can see the gospel and the fruit that comes out of it. You don't have to like it, it's just I'm, I'm preaching all around basically 1 Corinthians and several other texts of the Bible that talk about the importance and significance of prioritizing the community of God within our daily life and living. That's where we're at. For a lot of us, money has become a means for independence from God, independence from godly community, independence from responsibility for kingdom agenda purposes. And as a result of that, we have wandered, wandered away with money from an allegiance and a fruitful relationship with God. Number four, money is not a way for you to control others. We will look at this later in this series. So for now, let me just say this. God blesses us with resources so that we can bless others, not 
control them. And for some of you, money is a means of control over your family, and that is an evil use of it, and you need to repent. Number five, money is not to be your main goal. Every moment is an act of worship to something. You're going to hear me say this repeatedly if you come to this church more than once or twice. We are constant worshipers. So the, the, the dad in the room that today is saying, well, I don't get into all that singing stuff about Jesus. Let's fast forward about three weeks and let's see. Because you'll say stuff like, I don't get into all that singing stuff about Jesus because I'm just not that. I'm not a singer and I'm just not, I'm not, I don't do that kind of worship stuff. I, I, that's not a big worshiper is essentially what I get told. Uh, fast forward about three weeks and let's see what happens when your team scores that touchdown. Let's figure out if God put worship in you or not. See, this is the problem. A lot of men that are, that are called to, to, to set a standard, to, to, to lead the way when it comes to pursuing God, to be the, the chief repenters of the house that they lead as a result of worshiping idols that they don't want to call an idol because your fantasy football draft's gotten way more study than your Bible lately. It would have been funny if it wasn't a problem, Right? Because, the, the, because the, the, the goals that we set for ourselves that may not have been run by the Holy Spirit before we actually made them goals and pursuits of our life that may be causing us to sacrifice our family and make money the replacement for ourselves and our homes has, has led us down a path, has led us down a path where money has become the main goal and as a result of it, instead of worshiping God with something that's a means to worship God, we've now taken that and we've used it to really worship ourselves or whatever it is that we want, our achievements we want to be identified with in our life. Money is not to be our main goal. So what is money for? Let's get to the positive side. Step off your toes for a minute. See how long this lasts. Number one, money like everything that has been created, is a means to worship. It's a means to worship and honor God. Everything you have in your life can honor or dishonor God. You can honor God with your phone, and you can dishonor God with your phone. You can honor God with your mouth, and you can dishonor God with your mouth. We bless and curse with these things. My, my point is money is a means by which we have been given the opportunity to honor and bless God. Let me give you some examples, whether it's with God or with little g-gods in the Old Testament of how this worked. All throughout the Bible, people gave a portion of what they earned to whatever big g or little g-god or king they served. For instance, Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils to Melchizedek. You see that in Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 to 20. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God most high, brought Abram some bread and wine. Uh, Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. It goes on at the end of that verse to speak to this tithe. Then, uh, oh, excuse me, that's Genesis. You went to the next one. Let me go back because I left it off. First service gets the wild service because sometimes you leave a verse off that you need. Genesis chapter 14. Go on there quickly. I'm not sweating. Are you sweating? Genesis 14, look at what it goes on to say at the end of that verse. Genesis 14, verse 20. 
1, it says, oh, excuse me, at the end of 20, and blessed be God most high, and who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had received. So he gives to this king that's over the land that he is in after he's now received this big windfall that's come from a blessing that God has given him. On top of that, Genesis chapter 47, verse 24, everyone in Egypt. Uh, in Egypt, the people gave one-fifth of their harvest to Pharaoh. Genesis 47, 24 records that. When you harvest it, one-fifth of your crop will belong to Pharaoh. You may keep the remaining four-fifths as seed for your fields and as food for you, your households, and your little ones. So they're giving 20% of that to Pharaoh in the land that they live in. Now, let me be very clear. This is not about giving to your local church. That's not where I'm going. That's the last week of the series. I promise. I'll, I'm going to talk to you about it in the last week and what that looks like. That's not this week. There's a bigger point here that most of us never get to, though, because we hear the preacher say those verses, and they're like, he's about to say we need to give our money to the church. Listen to me. Hear, hear me on the bigger point, because I think this needs to rest in our hearts. What we see in the Old Testament and throughout Scripture is that there are two reasons people uh, gave money to things around them, uh, by choice or not by choice. Number one, it was an acknowledgement of authority. So people in the Old Testament gave to acknowledge authority. Abram gave an offering to Melchizedek because Melchizedek was the authority over the land that he was in. The people in Egypt gave a tithe to Pharaoh because it was an acknowledgement of the, authority, of the person in authority over the land that they were in. Number two, though, on top of that, it's acknowledging authority, but number two, it's proclaiming trust. It's saying, essentially, this was made possible because of your protection. We have what we have because this king or this God has allowed us to have it. Now, for us, there lies a few questions when it comes to our resources, I would ask them of you today. Number one, what is the authority that you live under? I'm serious. Like, like who, who do you live under? Because your finance and the things that you have, in part, are tied to the leadership and the provision and the blessings of the authorities that are around you, right? There are some countries where the government systems that are in authority, that they keep people from being able to have or flourish or do anything. And this is not a pro-democracy moment, but I'm, I'm just telling you, different governments and authorities have restrictions and brackets and means by which people are held down and kept from. But as followers of God, beyond your government, who is your authority? And should they not be honored, if whatever the highest authority is, should they not be honored with being given first consideration of how you steward what God has given you? Stay with me. On top of that, let me ask you a second question, really important one. Who do you really trust in? What do you trust in? Now, let, let me remind you of a text in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus, looking at a group of people, said, you cannot serve both God and money. You love one and you hate the... So either you trust at times in your ability to get more money and in your ability to steward money and you put off paying and honoring and giving to God later or you come to a place of understanding that our trust is in God and we trusted in God when we had nothing and we trust in God when we have something. It's a big difference. Who do you trust in? Who do you trust in? Now, Matthew chapter 22, verses 17 to 22 says this. Tell us what you think about this. Some people came to trap Jesus. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Let's get personal for a minute. Is it right in this country because of their unjust tax laws? Got to clear some seats out. 
to not take cash on the table and not give anything to the government because it's not right that they take it anyway. Because I know what's happening in this room. I mean, I know there's a game we can play where we can dishonor tax codes, but let me just, be remi- let me just remind you, you don't, you don't represent like Americans in the hustle. Like You're a kingdom citizen if you're a follower of Jesus, and we're not called to the same standard as our neighbors that don't follow Jesus. We're called to walk in light. Look at my books. Look in the closets. You don't have to like it, but I just want to remind you of what you're called to. It's not my job to tickle your ears. It's my job to just preach to you the truth. And for a lot of you, you're, you're dodging. You're dodging everybody you can because you, you deep down are, are dodging this. Look at, what, look at what Jesus says. Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. We, why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin that is used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then, he said, give to All right, who's on the American dollar? Presidents. Presidents. I know that we don't like, because I've watched people on Fox News try to explain this verse away, okay? Especially on Fox News. We we got presidents on our dollar bills. Why am I bringing this up? Are you going to make a point? Let me be clear. My money bears the image of American presidents. Therefore, they get to tax my income at various levels, whether I like it or not. But there's a bigger point to this text that most of us aren't paying attention to. And here's the bigger point. You ready? My life, not just my money, my life, though, bears the image of Christ. Therefore, he gets not just the money, but my entire life. And here's the problem. For a lot of you, your argument over what belongs to a government or doesn't belong to a government is keeping you from a bigger issue that's going on inside of you, and that is a life that is in rebellion against the very image you were created in because you don't want to be under his authority. You want to be equal to it. And that in lies most of our money problems. So for many in this room, money is not a means to worship God. It's a means to live independent to God or as an equal to God or as a sidekick to God. But I don't need to depend upon him in my life. My point is money is a minor way we declare a major truth. Money is a minor way that we declare a major truth. And that is that we, above all else, above all lifestyles, above everything we could do, belong to Jesus. And our money should speak to that truth. Y'all want more? What's the second creative purpose for money? As I look at the Bible, money is a means, number one, to worship God. Number two, money is a means to bless. God gave us money so that we could then steward it and worship him and bless others. You go back to the call of Israel And what God's promise to them as he brought them into the land that was overflowing with milk and honey would be is that they would be blessed to be what? A blessing. See, the problem is most of us are blessed to be blessed. We love to talk about it. We're blessed by God. We sit around on our blessings and we enjoy them while other people around us, with our eyes being focused on our blessings and counting them more than being focused on sharing them with others around us, go unblessed with needs that continue to be unmet. Yet you've been resourced for kingdom activity. You've been resourced to be a blessing to those that are around you. How many of you grew up in a time where you didn't carry a phone that had a million pictures on it? And if you wanted to show a person a picture of your family, you'd pull out a wallet and it would go rip. Y'all remember that? Some of y'all don't. But back in the day, like, like 
this whole digital camera instant, like, how did that picture look? We'll, we'll find out in about three to five weeks when Revco develops it. That's what we had to find out. How do we know if it's a good one or not? We don't know, but we don't have time to waste another shot on this because that's about $1.25 per picture, and I'm not taking a backup picture of this moment, so get your face right. <laughs> Some of y'all don't know what it was like growing up in the old days. But your dad would get those pictures. I remember my dad, I, I hated it. We'd be out in public, and I'd be off in the distance. My dad would be like, man, look at, look at the new picture of my son. There's my daughter, and he'd be flipping through pictures of us and like I, I messed up because you know my mom always she had high hopes she wants to look like we were cultured kids that we were you know well kept and like my hairline was crooked because they took me to a bad barber growing up and I wore the same outfit for two school pictures in a row and didn't know because I thought it was cool as an alien t-shirt and I had a ball bearing chain with hemp wrapped around it you know because that was My poor dad, this is how much he loved me. He put that fourth grade picture right beside the fifth grade picture, and you couldn't tell the difference. But he was proud. He was proud. My dad's wallet taught me a lesson. You see, the things that are on the other side of that wallet are given to us by God in part to bless the things that matter to us on the front side of the wallet. That's the idea. That's the idea. Romans chapter 12, verse 13. It, Lays this out for us. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. At times, let me just be honest, the practice of this verse and this, and this concept has caused me and my wife stress. We love to host people, but we got a stretch coming up where we're going to host like back-to-back, like missionaries from Thailand, which we are jacked about and excited, and some of our really good friends bought a house uh, here, and they're moving from Washington. Don't worry, they're not Seahawks fans. Uh, I, I'm the Seahawks fan. They, they pull for the Chiefs for some reason, um, but they're moving here too, and so we got back-to-back with them coming, and we're going to get to open our house and, and care for them, and you know what we prayed when we bought the house? God, would you give us the ability to host people? You know what we're tempted to do now that people want to come to our house? We want to complain about the very thing that we ask God to give us. You see how easy it is to get stupid? I can show you the way. It's so easy to get down that path. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Be ready to help them. Be ready to offer hospitality. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 says this. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power. That's tough. Here's the problem. It's not black and white. You know what it requires to make those decisions? When is it within my power? You ready? Discernment. You have to be near God And have an ear tuned to God so that you know when God's saying, yeah, go. Or no, don't. And for a lot of us, what we want is either it's always give and just be poorer. Or it's rarely give ever because it's probably just going to be spent on booze and cigarettes. Right? To someone that's in need. They're there because it's their own financial mispractice that got them there. No, no, no. We should pray. We should wrestle in that. 
There, there should be a tension whenever we see a need that goes, man, I, I, feel, a, I feel a tug or I feel an indifference. And God, I, I just want to bring that before you. Is the tug you calling me to action? Is the indifference a calloused heart to my neighbor? And, and you've called me to love you. And now the overflow of that, love my neighbor. So maybe there's a callousness that's developing between you and me. And, and you're using my neighbor to tell me maybe that there's something. Do, do you see how this works, guys? Like, like if you really are living a life that's praying continually, that's depending on God, that's trusting in them every step. It's, it's not a wandering and hoping that you get it right. Like it's a lingering near God. It's, it's a trusting in God. It's a moment by moment going, God, what now? Where now? How now? That most of us don't, don't, don't have as a common practice in our lives. But I, I want to submit to you that that is the common practice of the Christian's life. We see a lot of atrocities. We see a lot of evil. We see a lot of suffering. We see a lot of pain. And the question for the believer is, God, beyond the gospel, which is the remedy and the light that we have been called to carry, you've also given us resource to accompany that gospel with at times. Is this the moment where you want us to open the storehouse? Is this the moment where you want us to bring forth our best and bless others that are around us? It goes on to say, I know I'm meddling and I'm going into stuff that most of you aren't interested in talking about, but Proverbs 13, 22 goes on to say this, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. You see, there, there are people who are blessers and there's people who are hoarders. And all of it belongs to God. And you may get through your lifetime with hoarding your blessing that was meant to be a benefit to your neighbor. But God has a way of setting the scales right on earth and he definitely sets the scales right in eternity. You see, we, we get this opportunity to steward what God has given us. I never will forget, I read a story in my community in California about a guy that found out that he had terminal cancer and he was going to die. And so he wanted to make sure that he was able to bless his family and, and particularly bless his wife. True story. This guy, with the energy he had left on the front end of that diagnosis, made sure that the roof on the house that needed to be replaced got fixed because it was going to come up in the next few years and need to be replaced anyway. He paid off all their debts as a family so that his family wouldn't have to deal with all kinds of stuff and figuring out where's the debt and where do you buy stuff and all that kind of stuff. Paid off all the debts. He set aside money for his funeral so that no one would have to worry about that. He ensured that his finances would be in a place so that his wife could have the transfer of all of them over into her and she would know where the bank accounts were and the pin numbers and everything and put it all together in one envelope and put it in a place where she knew it was going to be. He paid the local florist for the next five years to send his wife flowers on their anniversary. He wrote birthday cards and gave them to a friend and put her favorite restaurants and places to go with gift cards in that card and gave them to a friend to give to his wife on her birthday. That's a godly legacy. That's a man that stewarded money well and was able to be a blessing to people even when he wasn't here on earth anymore. Now let me give you an illustration of a grumpy dad that read that story uh, that's me, because I'm not the hero in my stories. I'm, the, I'm always the hill here. And we were in San Diego, California. We were, I, I had gotten a job in radio. I was on radio five days a week. Yes, someone let me for five hours, five days a week, get on radio and say whatever I wanted to say, as long as it was not heretical, most of the, mostly. My, my point is, uh, I, we were making more money than we'd ever made. And my wife wanted to buy the kids uh, Halloween costumes. I hate Halloween personally. It's not my favorite holiday. I don't like it. I don't like being scared. You scare me, I'll kick you. That's the way it works. Like I, it's just not, it's not my thing. But my wife likes it. So we're in San Diego. We had saved up money, and in my mind, I'm being a really generous and great father. We've gone to the San Diego Zoo where kids got into free, i.e., that's an important factor to know. Uh, <coughs> 
But hey, we're, we're taking you, and they toss gas to get here. And, and, and we've had fun, and Morgan wants to go and get the kids a costume. Now, th- this is like the last thing I ever want to spend money on. I mean, there's so many more important things, like Clemson football, um, Clemson football, Clemson football, that I would rather spend my money on than a Halloween costume that's made cheap in some, you know, child labor factory that I'm going to put on my kid and they're going to rip, and then it's going to be the back of the closet, and it's going to stink because you can't wash it well. Like, I don't want to do this. And Morgan just looked at me when we were walking around, and she said, Honey, it's okay for us to bless our children with something that they want. It's okay for us to do that. And, and I needed that rebuking to remind me, Hey, you're working these extra hours, remember, Thunder? So that you could bless the family that's now in front of you right now. But I was about to lose sight. I was about to miss it. There's other points I could make, but uh, the two important ones for why God made money, I think, are on the table. I believe that God gave us wealth and resources so that we could take them as a means that would worship and honor Him. And part of that honoring of Him and worshiping Him is that He gives us resources sometimes to bless our children, our family, our spouses, our neighbors, and people that we may have never even met. When, gen- when, when generosity seizes your soul, whenever money no longer has an authority and a power over you, but it's now a means for you to honor the greatest authority that you live under, man, incredible things happen. Incredible things happen. You've probably heard preachers say, you know, we don't want anything from you. We want something for you. And you're like, okay, that sounds like a car salesman, right? Um, but, but can I just say as a testimony, to someone that's experienced what it's like to have money possess your soul and what's also experienced what it's like to know that money no longer determines or sets the navigation for how we live our life. It's now, God, what's your priority? What's your agenda? Like I can genuinely tell you that with conviction, put my hand on the Bible and raise my right hand and go, God, it's all yours. Like you want the house, you can have the house. You want everything in the bank account and you tell us to, to take it all out and give or bless or what, it is yours. We've done it twice now. I'm getting nervous because God's blessing us with a lot more than we've ever had in our life. And now to do that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a lot more zeros on it than it's ever had. Like it was easy to give everything you had when we only had $7,000 to our name. Like that was an easier check to write. It was, I cried when we write it, wrote it back then. But it was a lot easier to write it when it was seven grand. Then we did it again. It was like to the tune of about 14, 15 grand. We gave away a lot of property. We gave away a lot of possessions and a lot of stuff. I mean, just blessing people that needed it because we thought the Lord said it's time to, to give. It's time to give. And not just like give like your backups and your extras, like our best like the best we had. And so we're giving and we're blessing and we're experiencing that. And that, that was a bigger one. And we got, we got here to South Carolina with not much left. And we opened up the thing and I looked down, I was like, holy cow. And then like the next few months, my wife reminded me of the, on our trips to Hobby Lobby that we had given all that stuff away. Uh, my point, y'all know how much lamps cost now? I didn't know we were giving away like a half month rent in a lamp. My point is, there, there is an experience that I can describe to you, but I cannot live out for you whenever your finances become a means for worshiping God and blessing others. And I want you to have that discipleship journey experience with God. So may your finances not possess your heart. May greed not ever take control of your life. And may you live lives 
that steward money as an act of worship to the greatest authority and the person you put your greatest trust in so that his name would be made famous through your finances. In Jesus' name. We're going to respond. Our prayer team's here, and then we're going to baptize someone to close out our service. So let's stand and let's sing. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. You move as the Lord leads.